The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 205. While a giraffe only sleeps 1.9 hours per day and only at 5 to 10 minute increments, a koala can sleep up to 22 hours each day. Now that's living the good life. Today's show is sponsored by our good friends over at Tortuga Backpacks, and I cannot think of a better Christmas present for a traveler, if they don't already have one, than a Tortuga Backpack, because every traveler needs a great backpack, and if you want the best, highest quality travel backpack that's also carry-on size, you won't get in trouble with the airlines, don't worry, but it's big enough to fit anything for any length of time, head on over to TortugaBackpacks.com, and if you do pick something up there, one or two or three or four backpacks, however many backpacks you pick up, make sure that you use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and today's episode is part two of my interview with Danny Flood. And if you missed part one, you're going to want to go over and check that out because in part one, Danny gives us some great information on traveling to a place that I am fascinated by and have not been able to get to yet. That is Bhutan. He also gives us the number one hack for launching books on Amazon. And you don't want to miss this because this trick that Danny used or this strategy that Danny used was able to land him on the Amazon bestselling list. And we also dive into why having 1,000 true fans is better than anything else that you can accomplish in your business. So all of that is wrapped up in part one of my interview with Danny. So if you want to get part one, you can go over to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. That's where all our old episodes live. All the show notes, extrapackofpeanuts.com slash pods. Of course, you can also get this on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Jabbercast. However you're listening to this podcast, which is part two, you can also find part one. So go check that out if you haven't already. But for right now, let's dive into part two of my interview with Danny Flood. Yeah, and I want to touch on the the newest book, Hack Sleep, because again, as I mentioned, something that I'm familiar with from reading, you know, different articles about people who are you know only sleeping 20 minutes a day, or you know, in, in periods of 20 minutes and things like that. But nothing I've delved too deep into or actually tried. So if you could give us kind of like a short version of what you learned through writing Hack Sleep, or or even just a few hacks that if someone's listening, maybe like beginner sleep hacks, right? That someone who hasn't done anything could could give a try to and, and might actually see some differences with. Yeah, sure. So, um, <laughs> oh boy, there's a lot I could say about this. Uh, yeah, so being a, a traveler, I mean, I've, I've always struggled with sleep uh, as an adult, you know, and it's it's the most frustrating thing to me in the world because I, I can't function the next day. And, and being a traveler, I've slept in like 
so many random places on couches, hostels. Um, I've slept in a sauna once in Vietnam. I slept in, you know, barns. Um, I slept in jungle camps. And, and just like, you know, the environment, the lack of consistency in my schedule, you know, I really I realized I had to write this book. I had to figure this out. So I spent a year, you know, researching everything I could, testing everything I could. Um, and I do have a lot of hacks that can help you sleep better. Uh, I can go through those. And I also have a hack which can also make you a lot more productive if, if you want to hear that one as well. I, yeah, I mean, hey, let's do it. <laughs> why, why wouldn't we want to hear that one? Sure. <laughs> um, sure. So give me one second. I'm going to pull that up here. Yeah, I think that that would be great. And uh, you don't have to give away all your secrets, Dan, because we want people to go and get the Hack Sleep book on Amazon, obviously. But yeah, I think it's interesting that sleep is such a big part like it's always fascinated me, not to the point that like you, I've went and tested it, right? But it's always been like, if we're going to sleep for, you know, supposedly eight hours a day, you know, and that, that's the norm and we're spending all this time sleeping. Why aren't we looking at how to get better sleep other than the fact that there's a mattress commercial on TV that says, you know, get better sleep if you get this mattress. So I'm really intrigued to kind of hear the myths and the stuff that you kind of debunked through this, you know, year long testing and studying. I think one of the most important things that I discovered uh, as writing this book is the effects of lights on the brain. Um, I make it a point to get sunlight immediately upon waking up uh, because it starts the body clock. It all kind of aligns with this concept of a circadian rhythm, which I'll, I'll talk about a little bit more uh, in, a, in a moment. I make it a point to get, get light, open up the curtains as soon as I wake up, get outside for 15 minutes, let sunlight enter into my hypothalamus, into the brain. Uh, that becomes serotonin. It gives me energy. It improves my mood. It helps you sleep better at night because it becomes melatonin. As close to noon as possible, I try to get uh, – you can get 100,000 to 120,000 lux of light uh, at noon. And at sunset, you only get 400 lux of light. So uh, getting light, getting outside, getting light coming into your eyes is really, really important for your health. It helps you live longer, as the China study a book uh, states. And it also uh, helps you sleep better at night. So that's, that's one thing. Um, second, another hack you can try is I eat one serving of pineapple every day at 5 p.m. Because pineapple boosts melatonin production by 266%. So when I eat uh, pineapple, I'm able to sleep the entire night. I don't wake up in the middle of the night more than maybe 90, 95% of the time. Um, then there's other things that you need to know like uh, adenosine and what that is. So adenosine, basically, like if, if I were to preface this, um, in 1907, these French researchers theorized that there was a hypnotoxin in the body that accumulated during periods of wakefulness, and it's what caused us to fall asleep And that when we would purge that hypnotoxin, but they didn't know what it was. So they walked these dogs through the streets of Paris, and they kept the dogs awake every single night until they were just exhausted. And then they took the cerebrospinal fluid, injected it into the brain of normal dogs, and the dog suddenly passed out. So they, they realized that there must be some kind of sleep toxin is what they called it. And that, that we know is, is sort of related to this substance called adenosine. And adenosine, you should know that caffeine actually blocks adenosine. But <laughs> adenosine breaks down uh, adenosine triphosphate, which is the energy for all cells. So um, basically, you, know, you accumulate adenosine the more hours you spend awake. And whenever you have periods of intense physical or mental activity, it, it increases production of adenosine because it's, it correlates the, the activity level of the brain's neurons. So there's some ways to hack adenosine. I'm sorry this answer is so long, but... No, this is um, fascinating. Please keep going. I'm just <laughs> listening with like rapt attention here. 
So adenosine is kind of a key to polyphasic sleep. I've been doing polyphasic sleep where I sleep four hours at night, not by choice, but it's, it's just kind of been happening. And I'll, I'll, I'll have periods of sleep during the day, uh, at, at intervals in the day. And part of it is sleep restriction. So you accumulate more adenosine in your brain if you um, spend less hours in bed. You really need to limit your hours in bed. Do not do any other activities in bed except for sleep. Um, if you're ever lying in bed for more than 30 minutes awake, get up and start your day. You know, if you wake up at 4 in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, just get up and start your day. And then you're going to be able to sleep so much deeper later because you have three hours extra of adenosine accumulating in your brain. But if you lay in bed, you know, then you're not getting that benefit. So th that's, that's really one, one really important thing. When I talked about productivity, now this, this is really important because I was talking about the circadian rhythm earlier. And the, circ the circadian rhythm is kind of like, you have to realize that your energy is always rising or falling, and it corresponds to these substances in your brain. It corresponds to your body temperature. And your body temperature always dips at like 3 p.m., and it dips to its lowest point at 3 a.m., 4 a.m., around there, and it peaks at around 10 a.m., and it peaks again at around 6 p.m. So 10 a.m. is the period when you, around 10 a.m. in the mid-morning, is when you're the most alert in your circadian rhythm. And that's when I really try to engage in my most important tasks every day. So I, I break my to-do list down into three different categories. So I have my level one tasks, my level two tasks, my level three tasks. And I really try to engage, like so if I'm doing writing, if I'm creating video courses, I want to do it when my circadian rhythm is at its peak. And then the period from like three to four, just take that time off to rest. I don't even bother with it. Uh, and that, that gives me renewal. And then I have more energy later when my circadian rhythm rises again, you know, at 6 p.m. and the hours after that. Between 3 to 4, are you actually, like when you say you rest, do you actually go and sleep? Or is it just a, I'm going to like veg out and, and watch TV? Or what is that? Like what's the best way to rest during that time? I never watch TV. And I'm sure you don't either. <laughs> yeah, I, I very rarely do. But is there, or do you read a book? Is there, or is it just like, is it giving your brain a break or is it actually like physically laying down to give your body a break? Yes, I always take a nap. Uh, usually I set a nap uh, timer for 30 minutes. Um, and the reason why is I don't want to slip into deep non-REM sleep because that stage of sleep is really hard to awake from. So if, if you sleep longer, if you take a nap longer than 30 minutes, um, your brain waves really slow down. You, you enter into a delta wave state, which is very similar to being in a coma. And that's, that's deep non-REM sleep. So if you take a nap for 45 minutes and the alarm wakes you up, you're going to have this sleep inertia. So I always set my alarm for 30 minutes, um, you know, maybe around 2.30. Sometimes they're like 4, I'll take a nap. I'll set my alarm for 30 minutes. I don't always sleep the entire time, but I, I, I really rest. I get that period of renewal, and then I can, I can really you know, get more energy later. So I think it's really important to align what you're doing with the circadian rhythm. The more you can go with it instead of against it, the better. And I think if you Google, just Google circadian rhythm, um, there's like a graphic that kind of shows how it works, I think, on Wikipedia. Uh, you could also check out my book, of course, if you want more information, uh, called Hack Sleep. And I think it's two ninety nine on Amazon, so it's, it's less than a coffee. Do Yeah, there you go, which will keep you up <laughs> and which caffeine then blocks, <laughs> you know, the... the Oh, now I can't even remember. The, it starts with an I, right? Uh, one of the things that you were saying uh, that kind of caught my attention with, you know, you, you try to take a 30-minute nap or, or you lay down for 30 minutes. Do you ever find it 
hard to then actually fall asleep because I know for me, one of the things is like, hey, that sounds great. You know, two thirty or three when my circadian rhythm is lowest, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to try to take a nap. I find that a lot of times when I try to nap, like I know that I'm trying to fall asleep and it's only for half an hour, that it becomes very hard for me to fall asleep because you're thinking, all right, I have to get up soon and this and that. Have you found a way to to do that? Or is that just kind of training your body? Your body gets used to it after a period of time. Like, all right, now it's time to sleep. Yeah. So I have several things I can say about this topic. Um, but it's it's kind of like what the conversation that we had yesterday, Travis, when I interviewed you for my podcast. And you told me that um, your initial experiences with flying were so devastating to you that you felt like you were going to throw up every time you were on a plane. You would drive all the way from the uh, <laughs> from Philadelphia to Atlantic. Florida. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because uh, the plane had such a strong negative association for you that you wanted to avoid it by any means possible. So the point is that we all have a lot of people have these same associations with the bed. You know, if, if we can't fall asleep, then we kind of dread getting into bed. And that negative association tends to keep us awake. So I think the thing is that, you know, if you save the, the bed only for sleep and realize that, you know, I'm only going to go to bed for 30 minutes. If I can't fall asleep, I'm going to wake up and, and reserve the bed for that. You kind of associate your bed with sleep. And that's really important. And, and that's another reason why uh, sleep restriction is so effective, because if you're lying in bed awake, you need to get up immediately. And if, you're, if your bedtime is from 11 to 7 a.m., make your bedtime from your time in bed from 12 to 6. And don't spend any time in bed outside of that window. And then suddenly you're going to be like, wow, I'm getting in bed. I better fall asleep because I only have six hours in bed that I'm allowed to be here. So that way you can kind of create what's called an anchor. And you really anchor your bed to falling asleep. And, 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 if, and, and if, if it's hard to fall asleep, then you're doing sleep restriction, which is going to make you more tired anyway. So... Right now, I mean, I can fall asleep ridiculously fast, like less than 10 minutes usually whenever I want to from the moment I, I go to bed. Wow. And and does it matter kind of the timing? Like we we're talking about circadian rhythms, but is there a specific time where, all right, you should be getting into bed by 10 p.m. or maybe you should be in bed by midnight? Like are there times that are better for most people, most people on a normal schedule, right? We're not, you know, shift workers and stuff like that, or it's going to be different. But are there times that they've studied that, that you found that are better for actually going to bed, like before this time or after this time or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So if, if your body clock is operating normally, if it's following a normal circadian rhythm, then the melatonin production in your brain begins after a few hours after sunset, usually at 9 p.m., so it's, it's a good time, you know, after 9 p.m. is a good time to start to wind down, um, you know, finish any work that you're doing. Uh, really important thing is, is to block out electronic lighting after sunset. You know, keep the lights on really dim in your, in your condo or your, your house. Um, I like to use candles from time to time. Uh, if you're going out like on the subway or something, you can wear uh, red tinted glasses that they sell on Amazon that kind of block out bright lights. There's, there's an app called Flux, which you can install on your laptop, and it, it blocks out blue light, which is, so it gives your, your screen kind of an orange hue, so that, the reason is that, that this bright light, when it, it goes into your brain, it's kind of tricking your brain. It's saying, wait, it's, it's still light right now, I guess I better not get ready for bed. And when it does that, it, it blocks the melatonin production, and then you can't fall asleep. So you have to signal to your brain that it's time to sleep, and you do it through cues. 
And the biggest cue, again, is light. So when we have absence of light, we're more prepared for bed. And, you know, I have so much more I could to talk about this, but that's the short answer. <laughs> and, okay, so one of the things that I've noticed that I've been doing recently, um, and I think probably a lot of people, you know, before you go to bed, you know, either you're, maybe you're on your laptop or maybe now probably a lot of people are on their phones or iPads and they're sitting in bed, right? Which is a no-no anyway, according to you, you know, don't be in bed unless, unless you're actually going to sleep. So you're sitting in bed and you're on your phone or you're on your laptop and you're not even shutting your brain off. Like, is that, is that a big, uh, another big no-no is like, you shouldn't be on electronics. Cause you mentioned, all right, you don't want electronic light coming in after sunset, which it might be hard, especially, you know, if you're on the East Coast here and you have daylight savings time, right? I, sunset yesterday was 4.55 p.m. So it's like, all right, well, that's even before the workday's technically over for a lot of people. Does that mean don't be on electronics at all? Or does that mean use those tools, like you said, to have the bright light, the blue lights and things like that not come through whatever screen it is you're looking at? Well, I'm using my laptop right now, and it's it's almost 9.20 p.m. here in uh, Bangkok. Uh, <laughs> We're throwing you all off, man. <laughs> no, I find that Flux um, is really effective for blocking blue light. Uh, so I, I don't find a problem using my laptop at night. But after 9 p.m., I do think it's a good time to really start to kind of relax uh, and prepare for bed, whether it's reading a book, listening to music, doing meditation. Uh, because what that does is... Sleep is basically a process of brain waves, right? So you move from short, high-frequency brain waves when you're awake to really slow, drawn-out ones, the delta waves that we talked about that are very similar to being in a coma. So there's actually a way that you can move from the first state of brain frequencies to the second state of brain frequencies, which are called alpha waves. And meditation, relaxation, um, you know, reading, breathing exercises can actually influence your brain waves so that you move from the beta waves to alpha waves which eventually become the waves that put you to sleep. Uh, so, so it's just good, you know, sleep hygiene that after 9 p.m., you know, just, just kind of get ready for bed. Just, just do your own kind of evening ritual that, that makes you feel relaxed. And, um, you know, in the book, I also talk about, like, some hypnosis strategies that work really well. I kind of have my own ritual that I do when I'm lying in bed um, to kind of tame my mind, tame the monkey mind. And it's something I learned several years ago when I was at a hypnosis workshop uh, for the weekend and they were kind of like trying to remove things from our, you know, limiting beliefs from our psyche and, and, and still empowering ones. And they put us into this trance. And I remember that there was like four people, maybe five people standing in front of the room and they were all kind of like talking at the same time, but I don't know what they were saying. So like I would follow one person and then somebody, suddenly someone else is talking about something else entirely all simultaneously. And I'm kind of listening to all these people and then my mind is trailing off. It can't focus on anything. And I kind of like go back to that, that workshop when I'm in bed where I'm, I'm imagining these people talking to me again. And I can't follow any of it. And it's the same sensation as when you're like really staying up late at night trying to watch a television and your eyes get droopy and you can't follow it anymore. Your brain can't focus on anything. And so sometimes I kind of do that exercise to try to trick my brain, you know, to, to keep it from focusing on any one thing or to keep it from wandering around arbitrarily. And that, that some, seems to help me quite a bit. Uh, there are some you know, YouTube channels out there with some hypnosis tracks that you can try. Um, I know there's like some podcasts and some other things that, that are out there. I think there's one called uh, Sleep With Me Podcast. 
which which does something similar. <laughs> that's a tr- well, that's a that's a great name if that is what it is. <laughs> and if it's not, someone needs to start that then. And that's really cool. So you in your mind then when you're doing it, you're just imagining a lot of different people or those people in uh, specifically talking to you about a bunch of different subjects. And that that actually then helps your brain not be able to follow it and trail off. That's that's I find that very interesting because usually in my brain it it becomes like if I have all these thoughts going through, it really kind of makes me I guess feel like energized. Even even if it's not physically energized, it may, mentally energized because you you know, you've probably felt that where your mind's going a mile a minute. Um, especially when you're in bed and you have all these ideas and all these ideas and you feel like you should get up and write them down and you know this is your best idea ever probably isn't but it feels that way do you ever get like that and is there is there something that you do to kind of corral that into either helping you sleep or being some sort of positive influence well i think corral is really the right word and it kind of comes down to i mean i don't have that struggle anymore but then again it's because i'm really I'm really organizing my day according to my circadian rhythm again, so that I set the time for rest, renewal, uh, for doing other activities when my circadian rhythm is going down. So I know when it's going to be highest and I know when it's going to be lowest and I I plan my day accordingly. I think the time for writing ideas and and all that stuff, I mean, that's great. Mid-morning, early afternoon, I'm not going to try to do any of that stuff, you know, mid-afternoon around 3 p.m., 4 p.m., maybe after 5, 5.30, 6, then, then my body temperature starts to go up again. But again, you know, I think, I think that as long as you, you, you kind of align your activities to the circadian rhythm, I, I don't really have that struggle where I, I feel like I'm in bed, um, you know, need to write down ideas because I have ideas coming to me. I kind of reserve that, that, that period for certain times of the day. Interesting. So you're training your body not to have it because you're, you're almost like purging the ideas throughout the day because of the fact that you're you're aligning yourself with when you should be doing it. And so when you get to that point, your body's not trying to to push you any further. And and I think that's exactly. interesting. You're yeah, you're you're like preemptively getting ready for sleep the whole day because you're doing what you should be doing when you should be doing it. And so when you get into bed, it's like your body knows, all right, this is it. This is sleep time. This is bed. <laughs> Exactly. And that, that's exactly how I work because um, today, I mean, I, I told you before the call, I shot eight videos when my circadian rhythm was high uh, for a video course for Udemy that I'm, I'm preparing. But then at the same time, I finished that and it was like mid-afternoon. And I was like, I need to write an email to my, my newsletter or for my newsletter subscribers. But writing for me is a level one work. I know I can't do this, but a level two work is perhaps outlining. So for example, I'll just outline what I want to write about and I just call it mindstorming, where I just write down every single idea about the topic. And then when I wake up in the morning, then I can write that, that email and I can probably bust it out in like no time flat, you know, maybe 20 minutes because my focus is going to be much higher. I know that it's going to be higher. And um, so like level two examples, like just outlining the writing that you want to do when your alertness is, is lower, then you'll be able to write it much easier when it comes time to write that. That is, that's a great, great strategy. And, and I, call it brain dumping, you know, and, and like it's if if I know that I can't get anything effective done really well, I guess effective in terms of finishing a project. But, you know, in your head you've been thinking about it, oh, what am I gonna write? All day you've kind of been mapping out exactly what you're gonna write, or at least if you're like me, or if before I get on a podcast, you know, I'm thinking, all right, what's gonna happen? How's this gonna go? This and that. 
but if you can't actually physically do it at that point because you know you're you're tired or your brain's just feeling sluggish, yeah, I just go and I dump it all out, and then it's crazy by the next day or or whenever you know even later that day when I feel sharp, all of a sudden you just look at that and it just flows. You're like, wow, that was pretty easy, but you know you can't do it before for whatever reason, and I guess that's because yeah, the way our brain works. So that's a that's a great tip, Danny, and one that I guess I've done but haven't thought of it consciously or intentionally. Yeah. And I think once you start to think of your work in this way, and, and I, like, you know, I said, I have three levels that I do. And the third level is just stuff that just doesn't require a lot of energy to do. You know, it could be like re- replying to emails. Um, an example for me is, is like, sometimes I just have to copy and paste stuff. Like if I want to do a free book promotion, I have to submit my information to a bunch of newsletter sites to kind of notify them and then, you know, fill in information about my book, fill in the title, the I- ISBN number, um, that's really copy and paste stuff. So I can do that, you know, when my energy is really low, it doesn't require a lot of engagement. Um, but when I, when I am fully engaged, I want to do, do my best work. And so that, that's why I really think it's important to organize your to-do list into those three different levels like that. Yeah, that's, that's great advice. And segueing into uh, kind of a bigger picture thing, I think the hardest part about being nomadic. And like you said, you've done it for the last six years. And Heather and I have been nomadic for, you know, three years. And if you count when we lived in Japan, five years. So it's been a while. And I find that the hardest part for me is balancing the work and travel. And that's because, you know, when you're out and you're in a new place, you you want to travel and you want to see everything and you're there for a reason. And that's to get out and, and experience it. But then, you know, if if you're like us, you have to work. Now, maybe there's some people out there who just get to travel and that's great. But if you're running a location-independent business, there is that work aspect to it. Have you found anything that works for you that's better over the six years that has changed with balancing work and travel? And has it gotten any easier? Like there must, you're all about hacking different things. I assume that there's things that you've done that you've thought, all right, this has helped me experience both more fully. So when I'm working, I'm I'm excited and I'm you know I'm doing good work and then when I'm traveling I'm doing that as opposed to kind of this I, I've felt before where I'm in a state of flux and neither is really getting my full attention and it usually drives me to be really I don't want to say upset but just kind of feel quite uneasy because you're not getting the best of either thing. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I mean, even though you might escape the rat race and be location independent the rest of the world is still running on the same schedule. You know, it's, it's still on the nine to five schedule, taking breaks on weekends. Um, so even, you know, if, if, if you've been traveling a while, you kind of just want to settle into a rhythm. You kind of just want to settle into a normal lifestyle. Um, because let's say you're, you're dating someone, they're working at a job, you know, so you can't hang out with them, you know, during the daytime, you have to wait till they get off work. So um, I, I find that, you know, what works best for me is that right now I'm just, basing myself in one location and then using that as like my hub. I can come back there, you know, when I need to get like a, a hot shower or something or, you know, clean myself up or just get a massage. That's why I love Bangkok. You know, it's very centrally located. And at the moment, I'm just staying here on tourist visas. So I, I get the maximum, you know, 60 days if I get an extension. And then I'll just go travel like, you know, to anywhere in, in, in Asia uh, for like a few weeks or maybe a month. Once I get tired of that, tired of like, you know, roughing it in Sumatra for four weeks and, you know, being crammed into vans with like eight, nine people in them and I'm sitting in the middle, then I'll come back to Bangkok (laughs) 
And um, I find that works really well for me because if I'm staying in like hostels and stuff, I'm, I mean, it'd be impossible for me to, to run a podcast. Interesting. So are you kind of at the point where when you travel, you're traveling and you're not doing much work while you're traveling or you're doing kind of like the minimum to get by. And then when you come back to Bangkok or wherever your home base is, you know, in the future, when you come back there, then is that's kind of when you're pushing along like big projects and getting huge chunks of work done. Um, I guess it really starts with intention, you know, what you're trying to do. Uh, I find the greatest rewards of travel are just like the people I meet and the experiences we have together. Um, there, there's only so many temples I can visit, you know, before I'm like, this is boring. Um, cause I've, I feel like I've seen them all. Uh, and the second part of the question is, um, you know, when I first started to travel, I was doing a lifestyle business that I only worked 10 hours a week for. I would maybe work two hours a day. Um, but I was really, really bored with the work. And now I'm working so much more, but I don't mind it. You know, I, I'm really, really passionate and engaged in my mission and what I'm doing with my new business, with my books, um, with Open World Magazine. Uh, that I don't, you know, the work and the, the play, they're kind of mixed together. I don't really have any separation between them, basically. Yeah, well, that that's incredible. And I think that's... <laughs> Uh, lucky for you. And I found that for me, even even though I was really enjoying, I, I am really enjoying the work that, I, that I'm that i doing, it became hard to to be out, you know, all day. Like, let's say you're somewhere in a new country and like for three days you're out exploring and I would think, oh man, well, I have to get this done or people are expecting this, you know, this article to come out or this podcast to come out. And it became very, very difficult. And I remember actually sitting in in Chiang Mai with, a, with another travel writer named Dave Dean and he said, you know what, what I'm doing now is I'm setting aside kind of like different different periods in life where it's I'm going to work for a month or, or two months or whatever it is, or I'm going to work on this new project and, and start it and finish it. And then when I travel, whether that be for a week or three weeks or four weeks or however long, I'm only going to do like the minimal stuff that needs to get done, like maybe hopping in, answering some emails, staying in touch with anyone who who works for you or anything like that, making sure stuff continues to run smoothly, but not moving ahead any big projects, like obviously not sitting down and writing a book or or not filming a video course or things like that. And I found that to for us in the last four months, we, we've started to do similar type things where when we're traveling, it's it's way more hands off um, and way more less intense work, but we're actually getting to experience it again. And it's been a bit of a revelation because for a while it was, it was becoming pretty difficult. Yeah. I think one thing that works really well for me, um, as a nomad is, um, being able to do work offline. I'll often write a lot of my like emails and stuff in a word document. I find it really helps a lot. Like just doing work offline. Um, even just emailing, you know, if I, if I try to answer emails in my inbox, I, I get way too bombarded by everything in there and I get distracted and it takes me a lot longer. So I'll just try to like, you know, write, I'll say like, these are all the people I need to contact today. I'm going to write all the, the emails in this Word document. And, and that's the kind of work that you can do anywhere. You know, writing, when I'm, when I'm writing a blog post or an, an email, um, I can do that offline. I can do it in a Word document. I don't have to have Wi-Fi for that. And I think that's really, really helpful. I've done all kinds of experiments where I'll be on a bus, you know, to a new destination or on a train and my productivity suddenly skyrockets, you know, without Wi-Fi. But at the same time, I'm, I'm on this bus for six hours. And I, if, I, if I'm not getting anything done productive, I'm going to be really anxious and uneasy. So I'm really productive in those situations. And 
I actually did a, an experiment where I like deliberately did this, where I, I just went on the BTS in Bangkok and I just said, you know, I'm going to start writing. And I use that as my office. I just went from I went from one end of the BTS to the other, and I'm just writing on my laptop. And I was able to get you know 2,000 words written in one hour without any distraction. And I know that there's there's writers out there who I think the guy is Jonathan Franzen. He's a novelist. He he actually like disabled the internet connection from his laptop, you know, for for writing because he doesn't want to be distracted by it. And I think that if you can like organize some of your work so that you can do it offline. Um, and then, you know, when you do have a solid internet connection, just, just upload everything and you can, I think it's actually a really good productivity hack. Yeah. I, I actually, that used to be what I would enjoy. You know, I told you before I didn't like flying, right. And I still don't really enjoy actually flying, but one of the things that I did really enjoy at, when I got older and when I started running my own business was when I got on a plane, I knew that, and now, of course, you can get internet on the plane, so that kind of shoots that theory, although it is, it's a little expensive. I, don't, I never pay for it, but I, I would sit there, and I'm like, all right, all I can do is write. You know, I, I have my computer with me. I'll open up a Word document, and I'll just like start writing because I couldn't get on the internet. I couldn't check email, and I couldn't do all that kind of stuff, but I could get on, on a Word document and just write, and I found it to be some of the most productive writing I had ever done because you just get in a zone, and Again, I don't want to just waste all that time on a plane. If it's like an eight-hour flight, sure, I'll watch like a movie or two, but that gets old after a while. Uh, like I remember writing some of my book on the plane one time, and just like when I got off the plane, I felt, yeah, that was like really good stuff because you know when what you wrote was good or when it was kind of just not not the best and probably won't make the cut. And I remember getting off the plane thinking, man, that was incredible. I just wrote you know three chapters of a book on a plane ride, and I had no distractions, and it was it was pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And I just love things like that. That's, that's why I'm always looking for hacks. That's why I'm always writing about hacks. Um, you know, because I, I know that everybody's different. Everybody writes a different success story. You never know, um, you know, what your path in life is going to be. But you can make sure that you, the entrepreneur, or you, the traveler, or whatever it is you want to do, that you are as prepared for those opportunities as possible. And for me, like, I know my way forward. And my way forward is I'm just going to keep producing. Even if I'm just going to keep pushing and doing things bigger and better and better. And if things fail, they fail. But I'm going to do it better the next time. And I think that's really, really important because you can't control the circumstances that come in your life. You can control your attitude about them and how you're going to carry on each day. So I think it's really, really important. And I think that's what separates the people who then go forward and do it and who are successful doing it and the people who just dream about it and then never never end up taking action is that you're just controlling the circumstances that you have. And, um, and you're right. No one's is going to be the same, but you can have the same attitude as someone who's successful. Like your situation might not be the same as theirs, but their attitude was, I'm going to use this for the best possible way. And they went and they broke through whatever obstacle it was. And, and you can do that too. And I think that's a great life lesson. I wanted to touch really quickly because we didn't even get to this because we talked about the, the book so much, but you run an online magazine. So for people who are unfamiliar with what an online magazine is, you know, what exactly is it and how can people find it? And, and what is your online magazine, um, Open World Magazine, about? Yeah, sure. So at the moment, I have a blog at openworldmag.com and a podcast. And we're actually launching the digital magazine this month. Uh, we're going to do a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo in about uh, three weeks from now. Well, I don't know when this, this interview is going to go live, but it's, it's three weeks from the time we're recording this. 
And um, yeah, I, I've always wanted to do a magazine and I kind of want to uh, be able to present content that's of a better quality than a lot of like the travel magazines and lifestyle magazines because like we talked about yesterday, Travis, I mean, they talk about like a destination, but they don't tell you how did that person get there? You know, how did they arrive at this point in life where they're able to travel the world or, you know, do all these cool things. And, and I've been able to do a lot of cool things. And um, I've met a lot of really cool people who are doing really amazing things around the world. And I really want to tell their stories and say, you know, how did you get here? You know, and so that way we can all learn from them and we can be inspired and, you know, really be able to to take what they're doing and apply it to our own life. So that's kind of the, the vision for open world. It's just about, um, you know, taking a leap out of your comfort zone, getting out into the open world beyond and, you know, finding out what's what's waiting out there for you. And that will then be a monthly magazine by have you guys figured out kind of the schedule so that if people are interested and they and they check it out. They know, you know, what to expect and, and how often it's going to be coming out. <laughs> yeah, well, at the moment, I'm I'm the only person on the team, so <laughs> I know I'm putting I'm putting uh, you I'm holding your feet to the fire here, right? <laughs> uh, it will be bi-monthly to start, um, you know. And as I said, I'm I'm the only person that's that's doing this to start with. Uh, we don't have any team or anything like that. But again, you know, I, I know how to, to to create content. I have certain hacks um, to to do this the right way, like. Uh, I could give away some of those, but I'm a little hesitant to. Yeah, you don't have to. We'll have you come on after the <laughs> magazine's blown up, and then we'll ask you how you did it. <laughs> All right, I'll give you one hint, uh, but it's it's kind of related to my my books, though, not the magazine, because I haven't published that yet. But um, everyone really compliments me on my book covers, for instance, uh, but they don't realize that I spend you know ten dollars to design these covers. And I can do them in like two or three hours. And the, the reason is uh, I go to Shutterstock.com and there's a lot of like templates on there that are really beautifully designed. And you can enter in certain keywords. You know, like if I'm writing a book about sleep, I'll write in sleep. Um, you know, a book about email, I'll write email. Um, and, and, and you can find like a, a really good template that's really beautifully designed. And then you can really just customize it. And then, you know, play with the, the options, play with the type. The type. And you can create a beautiful book cover design that way. You don't have to hire somebody for $1,000, and you don't have to go to Fiverr. Um, so, so, you know, that's just one example of a way that I can produce really good quality content in really short time and a really low cost. Yeah, well, you said you weren't going to give it away, but there you go. There's one. So, guys, that's a, there's a reason to start your book right there, right? You don't have to worry about the cover. Just You're just removing all the obstacles and excuses that anyone has for not starting a book. So, I appreciate that, and we'll be on the lookout for the um, for Open World Magazine, for the actual magazine. And, of course, guys, you can go to the website and listen to the podcast as well. Before we go, of course, I'm going to have to ask you, Danny, I told you at the beginning to be ready for this because this is everyone's favorite question. I want to know about your biggest travel, and we call them mishaps. So something that happened to you that either looking back on what was enlightening or, or funny or anything like that that you've had, because a lot of people assume veteran travelers you know, have it all together and everything runs smoothly. But I found out that that is not usually the case for me and that I become much more lackadaisical with my planning and my actual preparation and organization the more I travel. So is there something that comes out and, and sticks out in your mind with a travel mishap or, or a story that you've had throughout your travels that you want to share? 
Sure. So I've had lots of mishaps happen to me. I mean, especially like lost or stolen stuff. I mean, I've I've left an iPad, you know, like the, the night I arrived in Tokyo, I left on the train. Um, I've had, you know, iPhones stolen, iPods. I've had my wallet stolen. Uh, but those are all just minor things. It's just stuff. You don't really value it that much anymore. Um, but there was one point where I just reached like the lowest point in my travels. And it was right after I'd reached, just reached the highest point. Uh, so, so after I'd finished my, my motorbike trip across Vietnam, um, I went to Malaysia and I was planning to go to India and Nepal after that. And I was going to go to Kuala Lumpur to get my visa. Uh, but then I was, I was going solo. I was walking solo uh, through this park, like national park. And I was like, wow, this, 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 is, this is so beautiful here. It's, it's incredible. And I just wanted to reach in my bag and take a picture of just what, everything I was seeing. And I, I lost my balance. I slipped. And I started falling backwards. And I, I was like, I better not fall, you know, on my back. So I turned, and then I kind of just jumped. And I, I jumped off this, like, little bridge. It was like a, a small wooden bridge. And I looked down, and I, I just see nothing black, you know, below me. And uh, I kind of, like, fell off. And, and suddenly, like, I just stopped. And I'm like, thud. You know, something hit. I ran underneath my chin. My foot was broken. Uh, I felt like my teeth were suddenly warped, like in a weird angle, and I had to climb out of that ditch, and that was really like a turning point in my life, where, well, well the follow-up after that, you know, I had to get several teeth removed, I had to, you know, get reconstructive surgery, I had to, uh, I had a cast on my foot for two months, I was in Kuala Lumpur, staying in a hostel for a month, just in bed every day. Uh, so it was a really, really tough experience. I mean, there was, I would be in the doctor's dentist's office and he'd be drilling my tooth and I'm like, I can't take the pain anymore. But that was also kind of a catharsis from my old life to my new one, because I was doing this business that I wasn't really in, in, interested in anymore. I was working with clients back home and then I realized, you know, like I had to go back home after that. And I did a lot of meditation and I had to figure out a new path in life. And you know, the, it started with the book. I realized I want to write a book. And then it just kind of evolved into this mission. I'm still carrying that on today. So really just kind of a wake-up call. You know, it's something that really brought me down pretty low. I was pretty, felt pretty depressed by what happened, but then it, it, it made me a stronger person. Yeah, and what's amazing about that is most people, and maybe not most people, but you would assume that most people, if that happened to them, they'd be like, all right, this is the end of my my travels, right? Like this is... It would be a breaking point or a turning point, but it would be a turning point back to the old thing. Like, oh man, I don't want to, you know, if I have a broken foot and I have all this surgery and I don't want to be in Malaysia, like there's no way I'd rather own, I'd rather be anywhere but here, like get me home. And and they could easily go home and that would be it. Like I had a good run. This means, you know, the universe is telling me that I, I wasn't cut out to do this or whatever you would believe. And it's neat that you spun it and said, all right, well, like here this happened and it was a low, but how can I pull myself out of this? And then not only get back to the level that I was at, but obviously then to a higher peak and, and onto a mission that you truly believed in, which is a testament, I think, to to your will, but also to the idea that a lot of travelers have. You know, you wouldn't have been on that trip if you didn't probably think that in the first place. But it took that to kind of spur you on to do it, which is which is a pretty neat neat feeling. Yeah, like like I said earlier, I mean, you can't always control the circumstances in your life, I and mean, you can control how you filter them. And you know, if you can look at an event and say, I, I learned something from it, 
I, I lost my, my father, you know, three years ago, and that was the most traumatic event in my life. And um, it's really, really hard to, to find anything good from losing the person that you're the closest to. But if you can just say, you know, I'm really, really grateful for all the time I spent with him, you know, for all his love, all the lessons he taught me, and I'm going to use those lessons to, to really do everything I can with my life, with this gift that he gave me. And I think that defines everything in your life, the way that you can look at what happens to you, the circumstances, whatever happens in your day, and come out of it better, stronger, wiser, more loving, more grateful for what you have, then you're on the right path. Yeah. Beautifully said, Danny. And I really appreciate you sharing that and and the story and everything you shared today and for coming on, um, helping more people you know, join the location independent lifestyle, something I'm very passionate about. Obviously, you are too. And and of course, for sharing the hack sleep stuff. I didn't think we'd get that deep into it, but I I cannot wait to go pick up the copy of that book because now I'm just ravenous for more information. Can you remind people how they can come connect with you? And also, of course, if they want to pick up the books, the best way to do it, I assume it's Amazon, but maybe there's some other way they can do it as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, thank you for that endorsement, Travis. I know it's a travel podcast and we kind of talked about a lot of subjects, um, but I, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you, first of all. Uh, if, if someone wants to find out about more about me, um, you can just Google uh, Hack Sleep on Amazon or look it up on Amazon. Or um, you can Google Amazon Danny Flood. I think I have all my books on there. Uh, you can also go to Open World Mag. I have links to my books on my blog. And um, yeah, if, if you want to get in touch with me, um, one of the best ways to do it, sign up for my, my mailing list. And you can get the audiobook of my book, buyyourownisland.com. I'm sorry, Buy Your Own Island uh, for free. Just go to buyyourownisland.com forward slash audio dash book. And if you join my mailing list, uh, you know, shoot me an email and I'll reply. And uh, let's get to know each other. Yeah. Thank you so much, Danny. And guys, we'll link all that up in the show notes, of course. So there's a lot there. And we'll also link up the books, all five of Danny's books. We'll link them up separately so you can even check all those out. But I highly recommend checking out openworldmag.com, which is where kind of the hub of what Danny is doing, as well as the podcast. So if you like this podcast and you're interested in a similar type of podcast where Danny brings on location and independent entrepreneurs and travelers and kind of just digs deep into into the why of they're doing it and also you know the, the whole story behind it. Go check that out. I highly recommend that. I want to give a big shout out to our wonderful sponsors, Tortuga Backpacks. You guys know that I love my Tortuga Backpacks. So you can check that out, tortugabackpacks.com. And don't forget to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. As far as joining the mailing list, Danny, I don't know if you've ever used a thing called lead digits. Have you ever used that? No, I haven't heard of lead digits. What is that? Okay, so I'm going to tell people how they can sign up for the uh, mailing list, and I'll and uh, you can figure it out too, and I'll I'll tell you. But if you guys are listening to the podcast and you want to subscribe to the email list and you want to get our free four video series on how to always get the cheapest airfare, before I used to tell them, Danny, all right, go to extrapackofpeanuts.com slash free and you can sign up that way, which you can still do, but it's much easier because anyone listening to a podcast, probably listening on their iPhone or anything like that, all you have to do to subscribe to our email list and get that free video series as well as you know all the weekly um, emails that we send out, you can text PEANUTS, P-E-A-N-U-T-S, to the number 33444. That will ask you to respond with your email, just your email address, and then you'll be subscribed to our email list. So that's lead digits, Danny. Pretty cool, right? 
Yes, that sounds awesome. Please put a link to that in the, the show notes. I, uh, I love certainly to check it out. will. Or, or tell me what I need to text to to figure out more about Lee Digits. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know what you need to text to actually get information on Lead Digits. But if you go to leadpages.net, <laughs> Lead Digits is like their, their new, really cool. I don't know how they figured out this technology. Um, but yeah, all you guys have to do to subscribe to the email list, you can do it right from your phone, is text to peanuts to 33444. And I'll, uh, I'll hook you up with that information, Danny, as well. It's, it's pretty cool. And it's really helped people who listen to our podcast become then email subscribers because I know that not everyone's you know listening online. It's sometimes you're at the gym or you're mowing your lawn or you're doing the dishes or whatever. So really neat stuff. And I want to thank you once again, Danny, for coming on. I really, really appreciate you taking the time, especially because we might have your uh, circadian rhythm out of, out of balance now because it's a little late there in Bangkok. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Travis. I know this interview was really long, but it was a great conversation and I really enjoyed it. If your listener wants one more hack to get through this very long interview faster, uh, download, download the application VLC and you can set the, the time to go to 150%. You can kind of fast forward through some parts and listen to the interview faster. So one more hack that I hope helps you get through this very long conversation. Thank you so much, Travis. I really enjoyed it very much. Yeah, there you go. One more hack. We, we had to throw that in there. Thank you, Danny, for coming on. I really I, appreciate it. I couldn't let you show me up after that lead digits uh, <laughs> knowledge bomb you dropped there. So. There, there you go. Entrepreneurs, always competitive. It's a good thing. So thank you, everyone, uh, for tuning in again today, uh, for all the continued support, for making us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you Paris.